Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to mention our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast, and let me explain, because it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. It's so easy, even a chud can do it. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. You're listening to the Rude Horror Podcast with your host, Marcus Rude. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Rude Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Rude, and today I have a special guest with me. His name is B.A. Lewandowski. He's a professional film editor and director, and today we'll be talking about the horror genre and probably most of the stuff that he's been working on and and uh, past projects. So, how are you doing in these crazy times, Mr. Man, Lewandowski? they are. They are, aren't they? This is a weird time to be alive, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> I don't think I've ever encountered anything like this. Well, really, we all haven't really encountered anything like this in our lifetimes. And, I can only uh, expect that uh, life on Earth is going to get stranger as we move along. Right. We're really going to see the true colors in humanity. Yeah, you're seeing it right now, and to be honest with you, I'm actually surprised how how calm, for the most part, everyone's taking this. Right, right. Like I'm, uh, I'm here in Iowa. I don't know. Are you in Chicago? Or no, 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 no. I live, um, I live north. I'm in Wisconsin. I'm right over the border. Um, I live in a sleepy small town right between Milwaukee and Chicago. So if I need to get to the city, either one of them, um, I can relatively quickly. But I, I get to live in a very languid and quiet neighborhood. And that's, trust me, that's very, very intentional. I spend a lot of time, a lot of time by myself because of the nature of my work. So I'll be honest with you. This, um, this quarantine is... <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Well, even if, like I feel like for podcasters, this is probably a perfect time because um, everybody's stuck at home and uh, some people may be bored and whatnot. And this is a perfect time for podcasters to uh, to do podcast episodes. Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, fortunately, Fortunately, I've got um, two full-time projects running right now, and I'm one of the rare people in my industry that's gainfully employed. Um, so I feel very fortunate and, and, and lucky because a lot of my colleagues, they're just out of work. Um, I just read there's 1.25 million unemployment claims in California. Um, and I can only assume that a large portion of that is from the entertainment industry. Um, yeah, so it's it's hit it's hit entertainment 
as you, oh, for sure. I'm sure you can imagine, really hard, really hard. Right. Oh, yeah. That's. I mean, I'm sure there's quite a bit of people that work on sets and you know actors and stuff. You know, we can't really be in big groups all at once while you know all this is going on. So I can only imagine how tough it is for the film industry. Yeah, it's rough and it's going to get rougher. Um, and it will it will eventually um, find its way to the the people that work in my discipline, which is which is post-production. It'll it will catch up um, six months from now when you realize there's no there's no goddamn content out there. It's because of what's happening right now. Yeah. Actually, it might be a little. It might be a little longer than that, but yeah, it, it's it will affect everybody eventually. Well, uh, Charles Band isn't uh, being stopped anytime soon with his Corona Zombies film being made right now. No, you're going to see a lot of those. Actually, you're going to see a <laughs> a lot of those. You know, and you'll see it from the studio system a year from now. And I think that independent filmmakers if they were smart they would latch on to idea like this because this is a big deal i mean this is it's for the most part unprecedented you know yeah it's kind of like uh oh like the black plague the bubonic plague it's kind of like a something like that but you know different name different type of flu different set of circumstances virus. yeah and different yeah uh different circumstances and and how this came up to be but uh you know this will probably go in the history books maybe as something significant like that oh i know there's no doubt there's no doubt and we don't even know you remember what what i've been telling everybody is i think the reason that we're seeing that the reaction that we're seeing is because um i mean i'm not a virologist but i do know that viruses especially the flu virus is secular so I think what you're seeing right now isn't necessarily a reaction uh, of the current circumstances. I think what scientists are trying to get ahead of is what's going to happen in the fall when um, the flu bug that we're dealing with, COVID-19, comes back. Um, mm-hmm. Remember, we're not out of the woods yet. Not oh, by a no. long shot. Um, that's the scary part. So hopefully if people follow... You know, protocol and maintain social distancing and yeah. stay the fuck home for the next month. We should be, we should be okay. But right, as long as we wash our hands. And this is a horror movie, isn't it? From it. <laughs> this it kind of is. It really, it really is. Except we're living a horror reality. We <laughs> absolutely are. And I gotta be honest, if you're a um, if you work in any artistic endeavor, I mean, <laughs> there is a uh, a mountain of of material to uh, to work from right now. Oh yeah, and even like for like writers, I mean, this is like a good time to even be a writer and just you know explore and expand your mind to. Uh, the content that's out there as far as what's being presented and how people are reacting to everything. Yeah. So you're in, um, so you're in Wheatland. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's a really, really small town outside of the Quad Cities. Okay, so you're not far. You're, you, you live in a town very similar to mine, probably. Yeah, like it's shit. I don't even know. Maybe like 200 people living in town. And, then, you know, we're surrounded by countryside, so there's a lot of farms and... Perfect. Nice and quiet. Yeah. You know. But when I have to get my, you know, supplies and stuff, I have to travel like 40 minutes away to get, you know, to the nearest Walmart or something. And that's that's the part that sucks. Yeah. But, you know, then I'm away from the big population, like the big towns and whatnot. I'm away from that. So that helps me and my family a little bit, I'd like to think. Oh, especially right now, man. What a benefit, right? (laughs) Right, right. So, yeah, we're just we're staying quarantined here, and uh, apparently, I have to go back to work Monday. But uh, we'll see how that goes because we're kind of going day by day here. And uh, well, hell, at least you've got uh, at least you've got a job to go back to, right? I mean, that's one way to look. Right, right. Yeah, I just gotta keep positive and think of the positive things instead of all the negative stuff. But uh, enough enough about me. <laughs> um, um, so I I watched uh the rake earlier, and you, or I guess I should say your company September Sun Films worked on that movie. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh the rake and maybe even about september sun films and uh what um you know maybe a lot of our my listeners might not know what uh what all goes into film editing maybe you can kind of shed some light in on like what kind of work that you do um september sun films is basically a post house uh, post-production i do a lot of uh post-production for well you name it um Feature films, short films, um, documentary short subjects, um, industrials, commercials, music videos. Um, we're working on, we're actually working on a cartoon right now for Hasbro, um, Entertainment One, and Disney Junior. Um, so I mean, we we'll cut anything. <laughs> <laughs> right i will work i will work on anything and i'll get you know i'll get more into that point you know in a little bit when we start talking about you know uh, uh, i'm sure we'll probably get into how i started but that's basically what we do is we will we we, we offer post-production super supervision we offer um services such as film editing uh, visual effects uh, sound mixing and design color work um, I work with a lot of different composers. So realistically, if you've got a project that needs to get completed, be that you know a three-minute film or a 120-minute feature, um, we can handle that. So yeah, it's all encompassing. Um, and, and you know what I I rarely turn uh, work down. Um, and the reason. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is, you know, you need a you need a lot of uh, need a lot of experience. You need to work in a lot of different genres. Not to mention, 
you you never know you never know which one of your colleagues is going to what they're going to do what's good what their career is going to become you never know which one's going to hit it right on you know what i mean so i that's probably one of the reasons i i i have such a diverse catalog because i just find it very very difficult to say no um especially if you know if your rate's getting met and paid the wages you need to get paid i rarely turn turn a job down (laughs) oh right on man I, I totally, totally understand. And I think that's really cool that you don't just stick to, you know, like say one genre, you know, you're just kind of all across the board. And, uh, People always assume that um, because of the, the, I've got a lot of horror films on my resume that I, I specialize in horror. I don't. It's just that in the independent film community, horror films traditionally are, relatively easy to make in terms of of cost um and it's the one genre especially if you've ever been to a horror convention and i'm sure that you have um Mm -hmm. audiences are very very forgiving with the low budget nature of of horror films so basically what i'm saying is you can you can get away with a lot of shit you know oh Oh, for sure. You know what I mean, regardless of your experience level. But generally speaking, I would, I prefer, I actually prefer, um, um, experimental film, which, you know, and sometimes horror kind of bleeds into that. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I, I, I don't really have a, um, I don't really have a favorite, you know, I suppose. Like I said earlier, I'll I'll cut anything. <laughs> <laughs> whatever pays the bills, right? Yeah, whatever pays the bills. I mean, I don't want to work. I mean, there's obviously some material I won't work on. I won't work on, you know, specific political pieces or um, you know, documentaries of subjects I have no interest in. Uh, yeah. um, I mean, like unless the, I was being the boring shit. I mean, you know, even even if I was being paid, if I was, I mean. Look, if the money, if the money's there, if there's enough money, I suppose I'd cut you and I, you know, reading the phone book together. But <laughs> that, yeah, that might be a a long ass documentary there. Yeah, would it be though? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. Oh, I was gonna say. Uh, so. Uh, You've you've done more than just film editing. I've seen uh, that you also directed a segment in Skeletons in the Closet, which is a newer horror film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually the co-director of of uh, Skeletons in the Closet with the uh, filmmaker by the name of Tony Wash, who actually directed The Rake. Uh, Skeletons is actually a really interesting. Uh, movie it's it's in some ways uh it has a almost nightmarish in terms of the difficulty of it um it's not it's very much a cautionary tale like a lot of the projects i've had over the years um it's just the nature of the budget and whatnot um but skeletons was actually a different movie at one point 2012 out of the blue i contacted uh 
four different filmmakers in the Chicagoland area, and I'm talking about out of the fucking blue. I think I sent messages through Facebook and said, hey, you don't know who I am, but my name is B.A. Lewandowski. I'm a professional film editor, and I'm looking to put together an anthology project. This was in, uh, shit, March 2012. And sure enough, lo and behold, these three filmmakers were like, fuck it, let's do it. And by Memorial Day weekend of that year, three months later, less than three months later, we had started working on this. And this project was called Chop Shop. You fast forward about a year and a half. We had difficulties um, coming to consensus about how to complete the film. So two of the filmmakers dropped out with completed short films, which they had then gone on to do other things with. So me and uh, Tony were left holding the bag. So uh, he approached me, I think it was while we were cutting on High in the Hog, the Sid Haig movie. I said, I've got another concept called Skeletons in the Closet. And then we got into this whole idea of um, using it as a nostalgia piece and making it an 80s film. The point I'm trying to make is that used to be a completely different movie. That's one of the reasons that when you watch it, you haven't seen it yet, right? Uh, no, I mean, I, I tried maybe watching a little bit of it after the rake. But by that time, I was like, ah, you know, we we're going to record this episode. So I yeah, was like, you got to watch it. You, you could, you'll, you'll, are you, are you a big fan of 80s horror? I'm assuming that you are. Oh yeah. I'm a sucker for horror anthologies. Okay, then you'll 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 like you'll like skeletons. It's very much a love letter to to fans of of eighties horror. Um, and the the, yeah. the miracle of that movie is we we put it together on the fly. Um, and a lot of the um, a lot of the best bits in the film are actually not even written. You know, we just we developed those in the editing room. Like for example, the Channel Thirteen character. Um, did you get it that far? Uh, is he like the skeleton-looking guy? No, 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 no. Channel 13 is actually the narrator in the trailer. Did you watch the trailer? <laughs> to you be honest, did... no, I have it. <laughs> okay, when you get into the movie, you'll, you'll, you'll know, okay. you'll believe me. You won't, you won't be able to, you won't be able to, to turn away from the the, the Channel 13 uh, narrator. He's a voice in the television. It's actually my voice, and and okay. Elements like that we just kind of developed while we were in the editing room. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that that movie was was um, like any film, I suppose, uh, extremely taxing. Um, but it started out it started out as a completely different project, and there was this odd genesis of where it ended up. In fact, we had actually we had actually debated speaking to. I think we actually spoke to Sid. I think one of the producers did. About actually being in that movie, Sid Haig was actually yeah. almost part of 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 that project back when it was Chop Shop. Oh man, that would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. But you know what? We got him in High in the Hog, so I guess it's okay. Right on, right on. Yeah, we'll definitely have to talk about that one. And uh, and then you have mentioned to me about a documentary with Sid Haig that you're currently working on. You'll have to, you know. Maybe after we talk about this movie, you can talk about one of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen High in the Hog yet? Uh, not yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, it's okay. 
You need, yeah, you need, you need to see Hog. Hog is, uh, Hog's batshit loony. I did see the trailer for that one, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's basically what you're gonna get. Yeah, it's it's a it's a loony movie, man. It's wild. It's fucking wild. Hell yeah! Can't wait to check that one out, man. It's not horror. I mean, it has some horror elements. Um, is, but it's, is it kind of like a grind. grindhouse? Yeah, it's a grindhouse movie. It's it's what I like to call um, retro grindhouse. A a true grindhouse movie is very very similar, and this is what's ironic because Tarantino got a lot of shit for Death Proof. I'm assuming you've seen um, the 2007 Robert Rodriguez Quentin Tarantino movie Grindhouse. Oh my God! Yes, I love okay. that movie. So do I. It's great. The Tarantino film Death Proof is actually more in keeping with traditional grindhouse cinema. It's very, very deliberately paced. It's very languid. It's very slow. It's not dull, but it's slow. Hog right. is not slow. Hog is Hog is like putting meth in your eye. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. nuts. Um, so I like to call it retro grindhouse because it's not quite 70s era drive-in grindhouse, but it has that there's enough nostalgic flair in the way that the images are presented that you're like, oh, okay, I, I know what the filmmakers are doing. Unfortunately, over the last year and a half since the movie's been released, I've gotten an obnoxious amount of criticism and necessarily criticisms i've actually gotten a lot of compliments but criticisms and but all of all of all of the 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 input usually negative or positive has been um has Mm. been in keeping with uh rob zombies uh, type of cinema which is fine i mean because i guess that in the long run you you can't escape that now right right and it's not a that's not a bad thing either i mean it's no no not at all not at all I mean, sure, Rob Zombie's, you know, he's had some bad movies, but he's also had some really good-ass movies, too. So, I mean, it's it's like a uh, a balancing beam with anything, really. I mean, you just, it's going to either go one way or the other, and then the diehard fans are going to love it no matter what. So, Yeah, I'm a big fan of... I'm not necessarily a big fan of his movies, but I'm a huge fan of his aesthetic. And, and there is a huge difference. Like, I'll give you a good example. I watched, when I watched 31, I shut off the volume halfway through because the dialogue was so atrocious. But I love the aesthetic. So I kept oh, it. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Like, the the atmosphere was amazing. The atmosphere and the imagery, the photography. I like I like how all of his edges are very rough. Um, everything's very dirty. I like that a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, that was another one of those movies where uh even the previews like it looked really fucking good. And then watching the movie it's like what the fuck happened? <laughs> like it just it fell apart before our very eyes. But I mean the uh the atmosphere was great. Uh I loved the whole idea of of uh, them, you know, uh, the group of people in there, and it's just kind of like a, a manhunt kind of thing, and they just 
kill each other and uh, for sport. Oh, well, you're talking about 31. Yeah, yeah. Or what are let we me tell about? you. Let me tell you something. Uh, let me tell you something interesting about 31. I was actually on a podcast recently where somebody was asking me about 31 because they they I I I told I, I had the I started out a conversation just like this. I said I was a, a Rob Zombie fan, and I, I am. I am. Here's the problem with 31. All right, so obviously, like all of us, all of us horror fans, you're a Carpenter fan. So in Escape from New York, the original 1981 film, Carpenter sets this, sets the movie up brilliantly in in that opening graphic, the one that's got you know Jamie Lee Curtis's voice, and she's describing you know what's happened in the future and the the she basically sets out the the parameters of the prison in new york and the rules and you understand all the logistics my biggest problem with 31 and this is all zombie had to do is he had to lay out he had to lay out not only the ground rules which malcolm mcdowell does fleetingly but they had Mm. to lay out the logistics of where you were so that you understood it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And how they had to get to their goal. That was the big failure because you had never, never at any point did you understand where you were, where they were supposed to go, how the villains were, were approaching. <laughs> that was my biggest issue with that movie, other than it was repetitive and redundant and he was basically ripping up himself. But you know what? That's fine. Filmmakers do that all the time. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, this the stick in front of you with the carrot dangling uh, on the string. Yeah. And you just chase the carrot around. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was kind of the you know, premises of that movie. It just kind of felt kind of like that. But, uh, I mean, I will say House of a Thousand Corpses was it's probably his best film and a lot of people could argue devil's rejects is but i mean house of a thousand corpses started you know that whole pretty much started his career really as far as a filmmaker but you know getting back to sid haig i mean sure sid haig has been known for you know the exploitation films he did in the 70s but uh rob zombie really uh, revitalized his career with Captain Spaulding. Oh, without question. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he, I, I could, I can never really picture anybody else to play Captain Spaulding except for Sid Haig. After seeing his performance, I mean, no one could top that. You know, like he, he definitely made Captain Spaulding. No, that was, that was the beginning of Sid's. That was the beginning of Sid's second act. Sid's second act should have started in 1994 had he taken the... Uh... You know that Sid was um, offered Marcellus Wallace on Pulp Fiction? Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And here's here's why he turned it down. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard this... Um, I've heard you, you can hear this in podcasts. He's done this at conventions, but 
over the last three years, me and uh, the guy that produced High in the Hog, Kevin Lockhart, we used to um, we used to work with Sid um, on the convention circuit. If you've been to a convention in the last three, four years that Sid was at, 50-50 mm. chance you may have seen me, actually. Really? I was at uh, when, Days of the Dead Chicago when Sid was up there. What, what year? I've, uh, I think I've been there... I think I've been there every year since 13. I want to say 2018. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If he was there, we were there. Yeah. yeah I think I think it was 2018. It was like, uh, oh, it was the year Linda Blair was there as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was. <laughs> I got a good, I got a funny Linda Blair story. There Ooh, was a. Okay. I was, I was. One of those one of those bar carts was near her table. It was in the hallway. And I was standing by a guy who had this really raunchy early eighties, mid eighties uh photo of her where her breasts were out. It's kind of sleazy. And this guy was three sheets to the wind. So I'm watching him, right? And he takes it over to her. He's like, Linda, Miss Blair, he was real nice. You know, he was real professional. Well as professional as a drunk at 11.30 can be. He's like, would, would you please sign this? And she's like, I will sign this for you, but you have to donate to my charity. And she didn't say how much. So this guy takes out his fucking wad of cash, and I think he throws in 50 bucks or something, and then she signs it. But the <laughs> the, po- the point is, is this guy was this guy was a, you know, this guy was a real creeper. That's the nice thing about conventions, man. You see all kinds. You see all fucking kinds. Anyway, let me get back to the fucking Sid story. Jesus Christ, we got sidetracked. <laughs> hey, no, so, we were, fine. <laughs> so we were at dinner. I don't know where the fuck we were. You know, I, I finally said to him, I go, Sid, I've heard you tell this story, but, you know, is that true? And Sid's like, yeah. He goes, one of the reasons I retired in 92 was because I was sick of getting these scripts that were all the fucking same. And you know, he used to do a lot of heavies. He used to play a lot of heavies in TV. Mm-hmm. For fucking years. And it was the same goddamn role. And then if he got offered featured parts, you know, they were for one, two, three days. And sure enough, you know, when he got the pages for Pulp, it was only supposed to be, I th- I want to say, and I could be wrong here, but I want to say it was a one or two day max. But what Sid didn't know is that Tarantino does have a tendency to work actors longer. Not to mention at that point, Tarantino had done one film. And, you know, Dogs was a hit in terms of its critical popularity, but it wasn't mm-hmm. a major moneymaker. But people knew in L.A. who he was. And Sid admitted that he knew the name, but he wasn't particularly popular. Not yet. Because remember, before Pulp Fiction, if you weren't involved in the independent, the truly independent film scene, even in greater L.A., Tarantino's name wasn't a household word yet. Not even close. So he turned it down. And... Here's the here's the best part of this story. So my follow up my follow up to Sid was 
what do you think that would have done to your career? And I said, I'm, I, I'm sorry if that sounds like a stupid question. And he goes, you know, I've thought about that. And I know what your next question is going to be. What I have done, what I have done corpses in 2000. You know, what I have, what I have taken the role from zombie seven mm-hmm. years later. Who knows? Who knows? Man, that is so crazy. Yeah, that's a crazy about. story. To be perfectly honest with you, I think that would have elevated Sid's name. Um, I think he would have gotten some strong work in the years following. I don't think it would have affected that. I think Zombie would have gone for, for Hague, and I think that movie still would have gotten made. But, I mean, you never know. You never know. Yeah, I mean, Sid could have veered off to another path, and, you know, he might never went into the horror genre <laughs> you know uh but you know then he did go to uh, uh well back to did, the back to the horror genre or yeah back he was in spider baby all them years back but um well he wasn't not just not just spider baby do you remember uh, um roger corman's galaxy of terror <laughs> oh my god yes with I the crystals <laughs> and robert england was in that as well yeah, you're, I got a good story for you. This one will be fast. So, right. <laughs> I had some edibles once, right? Mm-hmm. And I know for fucking sure, Sid was sh- sh- Sid was 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 high. This was a this was a dinner after a show. I think we were we might have been in we might have been in Atlanta. I don't remember. And I just off the cuff. I look over at Sid because we were I, I must have seen must have seen somebody with a GOT shirt or something. I look over at Sid, right? And <laughs> I don't think he was sober. And I go, Sid, was working on Galaxy a Terror fun? <laughs> and he stops what he was doing, right? And he looks at me. And you can tell he's he's processing. And he, and he looks down for a second, and so now he's thinking fucking hard. And he looks back up off in the distance, and he smiles, you know, that big pontific Sid Haig smile? Mm-hmm. He doesn't even look back at me. He's just looking off in the distance, and he smiles, and he goes, yeah. <laughs> That's all he said. <laughs> so I can only imagine what he was thinking about. And that was it. That was my Galaxy of Terror story. That's oh all I get. <laughs> oh shit, man! <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I spent probably I don't know, fucking, hundred hours talking to that guy, and I would shit you not, ninety percent of it was fucking politics. Oh really? Yeah, for you sure. Get into politics? Um, I I am, depending on who I'm talking to. Um, I like, I like talking about politics in terms of the historical perspective. So when I'm talking to someone significantly older than me, it's far more interesting because think about this. Sid had been, Sid had been in the business since 1960. Mm -hmm. I mean, think 
his career paralleled, I mean, Kennedy, civil rights, Watergate, Vietnam. I mean, oh, yeah, dude, the shit he's seen. And before that, remember. Yeah, maybe even he was, you know, late 20s, early 30s. So, I mean, my God, the the. Yeah, that that man had seen <laughs> seen a lot of shit, man. Yeah, he had seen you're right, exactly. Exactly. Oh uh, yeah. And then uh I was thinking uh back to the Tarantino thing, he did play the judge in Jackie Brown. So he ended up taking a role from Tarantino. He did. You know what's funny about that too? Um he's only in that for one fucking scene. I mean, realistically, he's got maybe, yeah. I don't know, less than half a, less than a dozen actual <laughs> shots. But he makes quite a fucking impression. Oh, hell yeah. Um, he did this movie in 2015 for this crazy person named S. Craig Zoller. This horror western called Bone Tomahawk. And he's only in that in the opening scene with David Arquette. And it's it's incredible. He was terrific in that. I actually thought he I actually thought he was terrific in Three from Hell. I actually liked Three from Hell. I really did. Yeah, I mean I mean I I know that he you know he was going through some shit in his life at that time. But I mean, I was maybe a little disappointed that he didn't get more screen time, but I mean, I understand, you know, he, I think from what I heard, he would have had more screen time if, you know, if he hadn't been sick. So they had to kind of rewrite the whole script basically. And that's, you know, that's why we ended up getting what we got. Well, you know what I, I I was thinking about that, and and part of me thinks that he's actually far more imposing because his role is truncated. It's like a more monumental performance because it's it is brief, but it's extremely impactful because you're 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 seeing. You're seeing that one of the one of the Firefly family is not immortal. It just has more weight. Um, right. You're seeing the final act of Captain Spaulding. Yeah. Like he came right full circle. Yep, he came full circle. Um yeah. I would have rather High in the Hog been his final film as opposed to Three from Hell because when I look back at when I look back at the character he plays in that he actually, interestingly enough, let me tell you I'll give you a little bit of a history lesson um, Sid Haig actually plays a character called Big Daddy twice um once the first time he did it was in 19, I think 67. 
Yeah, 67. It's the same year that John Borman's Point Blank came out, which he's also in, incidentally. He did this movie called it's a Bikini World. It's a musical comedy. Hmm. And he plays a character called Big Daddy. Um, and then, sure enough, 2019, he's in High in the Hog, and he plays Big Daddy. <laughs> That's kind of... It's weird, right? Yeah, it's kind of... Are they similar characters? No, not at all. <laughs> oh, okay. Not at all. Yeah, it's still kind of interesting to, you know... Nice little trivia fact there. Hey, he come, he came he came full circle in those two roles. Yeah, man. Yeah, it, uh, when I when I met him, um, this is kind of during the time where everyone was kind of saying that you know he's looking sick and whatnot, and then this is when he was kind of getting pissed about people saying stuff about that. But uh, when I met him, he was he was such a cool dude. I walked up in. Uh, I brought my VHS copy of House of a Thousand Corpses for him to sign. And I just I just remember the one thing he told me was, oh, you're going old school, huh? I was like, yes, sir. Fuck <laughs> and, yeah, man. You know, he signed it for me and got a picture with him. And, you know, I'll never forget it. It was, it was, it was brief that I talked to him, but, you know, his line was getting kind of big and, you know, just seeing him in person was surreal enough for me. You know, he's just, he's such an icon now. And, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. It, it was brief, but it was amazing. <laughs> I also, I used to, I, I used to, uh, I used to sit there and wonder, um, and just marvel at, at the lines that he would produce of people that were so excited to see him. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do, you know, his prices were cheaper than anybody. I think he used to drive his colleagues nuts, but I don't really think that was the issue. I think that he would have given his fans the, the, the shirt off of his back. Um, right. And it was, that, right. it was cool to be around that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it wasn't about the money. Like, you know, like that's what uh, that I am seeing, you know, as a fan that, you know, he cares about his fans. And, you know, a lot of these other people are charging $40, $50, $60. Well, he just kind of says, fuck that, you know, 10 bucks, get some sign in a picture. I mean, you can't fucking beat that. No. No, you can't beat it. And, and 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 it makes me appreciate him even more that you know he's not there for the money. I mean, I'm sure some of it is, but you know, um, you know, it just seemed like he just he cared about his fans more than anything. And it's 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 hard to find people like that, really. I mean, generally, um, I think generally on the the horror convention circuit most of the celebrities um have a very measured way with how they treat their fans but generally it's it's very accommodating but sids was different 
You felt it was it was it was different. Um, there was a lot of love in that room with him, and I think a lot of it had to do with his age. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He almost felt like it seemed like a lot of people treated him almost like a universal grandfather figure. Yeah, which I, you know what I mean. I know that seems strange. Um, that's that's actually where my relationship with with Sid went. Um, the last year or two, we didn't talk about movies. Rarely, it was like I said, it was politics and and the kind of questions you'd ask your grandfather about. Hmm. You know what I mean? Career okay. advice and, and historical perspectives on things. Philosophy. I think I just stopped viewing him as a movie star and, like I said, kind of like a grandfather. And I think a lot of people did that. He did dispense some great advice. And he did it in a really fucking funny way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, yeah, man. Yeah, he was good shit, man. He's, you know, we'll talk about the We'll talk about the doc later, but um, as you can tell, I'm obviously a huge fan. Otherwise, we wouldn't be involved in a project like that. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, definitely be a, a fun time being around him and uh, being able to work with him. I'm sure he's he's a lot of fun to be around. Um. Is there uh, any other projects that you've been working on that you'd like to talk about, or? Um, late last year, I worked on a Bollywood movie. It should be out in the fall, we think. That was insane. Hmm. Is there like a title for it, or is it still kind of um, post-production? It was called Rager, which doesn't make any sense, but that title has now been altered. Um, I don't actually have the translation in front of me, but it's been changed. Like I said, it's a Bollywood movie. It will not see it. I mean, it probably will see U.S. distribution at some point in 2021. Um, but I got to be honest with you. That's not something I'm I'm hyped about. It is a nice it is a nice thing to add to my resume, but. <laughs> I mean yeah. uh, like I said I am working on a cartoon for Hasbro um, I'm not going to name it right now I'll tell you later what it is because I don't want to associate uh, my cartoon with uh, all the F-bombs I'm dropping in during this interview oh for sure yeah I mean <laughs> hey if, you know if I start talking about something and you don't feel comfortable talking about just let me oh know. no 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 no! Don't worry about it. I'll talk about anything except for the title of my cartoon. And okay. then, uh, like I said, we are we are in the preparatory stages, perhaps even farther along. Although I'm not going to disclose that right now, on a documentary about Sid Haig. Um, I don't have a uh, I don't have a release window. Um, I couldn't even make 
guess at this point, but I will say that you will see it sometime in the future. Hell yeah. It's going to be bigger than want to check that out. Yeah, yeah. If you're a Sid Haig fan, you'll... you'll So is this going to be like a a documentary about his life? Or, you know, more than his movies? Yes, it's all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. The movie portion, and this is where I think that I wouldn't say fans are going to be disappointed, but I'm I'm gearing this more to older fans of 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 Sid because I'm going to be spending a lot of time talking about 1960 through the early 80s. Um, Sid's career, uh, movie wise, from 81 to 97 isn't as interesting as his TV work. And obviously, when Corpses came out in 03, he was that was his second act. And then, of course, when the horror convention started again, that was his his third act. For sure. Now, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll, you know, we'll 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 have a hell of a lot of information about about the his career, um, you know, post 2003, because he actually did some movies in there that, that in my opinion, are just as interesting as the zombie movies. Like he did, for example, this movie about another clown, uh, called little big top by a director named Ward Roberts, which is really interesting. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever heard of that one. Oh, it's, oh, dude, it's great. It's great. (laughs) Um, right, right on. But yeah, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the era that I'm actually far more interested in. I, I, I like the zombie movies, and I'm glad that they exist, because a whole new generation, two generations, have... Because you know how it is, man. I saw lots of little kids getting their autograph from Sid, so it's a couple generations. Right. But I, I'm far more interested in his his work, like I said, Um Spider Baby through, you know, seventy four was the was the fucking golden era of Sid Haig, in my opinion. Right, like the Foxy Brown oh, movies, right. you know. You know, he did Spider Baby, and then he did Pit Stop, and he did uh, played Che Guevara. No, actually, he didn't play Che Guevara. He's Antonio in a Che Guevara movie. He's in George Lucas's first movie, you know, and then he did the um, Philippine movies. You know, he did Big Dollhouse and he did um, Big Bird Cage. And right. the, that um, was Black- the one I was trying to think of, the Big Bird Cage. Yeah, that's a great one. Then, you know, he was in a Bond movie, you know, and then he did Coffee, yeah. all those Eddie Romero movies. Um, uh, he did the, the old Batman TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Adam West. Well, I mean, I, yeah, the TV stuff is... The TV... He did... I don't know what the hell the number is. 350 plus episodes of television. I mean... Right. <laughs> He's done like an immense amount of I mean, TV yeah. work. Oh, yeah. His yeah, his resume is... <laughs> impressive <laughs> doesn't even begin to describe it, honestly. Right. But yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, we'll... And then, you know, that's the nice thing about a, if you're doing a doc on an actor like Sid, I mean, 
Jesus Christ, dude. Honestly, I could make a four-hour documentary, but we're not going to be able to. Oh, my God. Yeah, like interviewing people he's worked with and stuff. Dude, yeah. It's... Yeah. Documentaries are... um, Documentaries are a lot more work, in my opinion, than a feature film. I... It's... (laughs) It's earth-shattering once you actually do the math. (laughs) Right. Not not to change subject, but uh, I don't know if, if you're like a wrestling fan at all, but uh, there's a really good documentary on uh, Chris Benoit that just came out on, uh, I think you can find it on YouTube, but uh, it's uh, Vice did a documentary on him of uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just saw, I just saw uh, um, uh, a story uh, on that in, on, on, on social media somewhere. I think it was on Facebook. Yeah, because I follow Vice. It's an interesting yeah. story. I remember when he killed himself. That was wow. Yeah, it was it's probably one of the most powerful like wrestling documentaries I've ever seen so far, you know. Like it was you know, it it uh it really goes through uh you know, it talks about like Eddie Guerrero and you know, cuz he had a hard time dealing with Eddie Guerrero's death and uh you know, and then just leads up to, to uh, you know, what happened with him and his family and and the aftermath of it. And, uh, you know, there's uh, his son is on there as well. And, you know, it's, it was just really a really powerful documentary. Are you a big uh, wrestling fan? Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of took a little hiatus from it for about 10 years, but I used to watched it back in the attitude era with like stone cold undertaker the rock you know and watched that for several years and then then when i got into my teenage years that's when i kind of you know chasing the girls yeah i was gonna say you you found found girls and you're like yeah i don't need this right now no no." same thing (laughs) happened to me because i was a huge fan from like uh 86 to like 94. And All right. My first year of college, I was really young when I went to college. I was 18. It was 93. And sure enough, the next year, I was done with pro wrestling. <laughs> but you know what? I understand why people enjoy it. For the same reason for the same reason people enjoy soap operas. It's drama. It's just drama and sports. I totally yeah. understand. It's no more ridiculous than any of the so-called professional sports. Which right. I gotta be honest with you, anything that generates a billion dollars is on the up and up. So wrestling might be fake, but it's no more or less than any of the other so-called professional sports, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, and I'm not like, I mean, I guess trying to defend wrestling, but I mean, you know, they, some of them guys really do take bumps. Oh no, they take you all know. bumps. The outcomes, the outcomes are are contrived but the actual the actual violence within the 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 actual work oh yeah the hits without question i mean why do you think these guys like benoit why do you think they commit suicide from fucking head injuries you don't get head injuries from something that's fucking fake no 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 i have no i have no doubt but like i was saying we criticize wrestling for having contrived outcomes, but 
I don't know, man. After watching pro football all these years, you got to wonder, right? <laughs> you got to fucking wonder about these so-called outcomes. Right, man. I don't know, man. I'm a Lions fan, so I'm telling you, man. When you're a Lions fan, you're like, Jesus Christ, this can't be real. <laughs> you know what? When, you really, when it really gets down to it, think about this for a second. We all, I think most Americans will agree that politics is fixed, right? In some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Either would, at the ballot box so. or... Because you've got so much money and influence that overrides what the actual American people want. Okay, so if politics, if politics is manipulated, why can't sports outcomes? Well, and I think that they've tried that in the past too, but then they end up getting busted for it. And, uh, or you know, like uh, I guess I would say, like with the whole betting situations, like now it's it's. Starting to be more accepting, which is crazy to think about that now we can bet on sports and not, you know, get arrested for it. It's crazy, right? But like back in the day, or you know, like uh, like Trump pardoned one of the owners of uh, was it the 49ers? Uh, it, uh got yeah, busted in the 80s, yeah, for, uh, for betting. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to think how much even shit like that is changing. Um, you know, kind of talking in a like a spinning record. But, you know, it's crazy to think that now we can bet legally, you know, as long as we go the legal routes. It's, it's starting, you know, shit that was illegal is now becoming legal. <laughs> not everything eventually, but... eventually it all will be and then people will realize oh wait this really was never going to affect us negatively like prostitution should be legal all drugs should be legalized I mean you you know you need to control it and you know, like some marijuana, it's already being legalized in certain states so it's they're starting to be a lot more laxed on on some things which, you know, I have no problem with, with marijuana. I mean, you know, it, it really, it's it's your choice. If you want to do that in your own free time, hey, by all means, you're not affecting me. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we're kind of steering away a little bit from uh, the horror genre. Maybe I'll try to sling us back into... Now we're talking about politics. That's horror. <laughs> Reality horror. Uh, but yeah, uh, the the rake. I watched that earlier tonight, and uh, you know, I'll be honest. Like I I messaged you and I said, you know, some of the acting wasn't the greatest, but I did love the creature effects. And uh, hey, Marcus, before we get into this, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, freshen up my beer. Give me one second, all right? Hey, uh, I'll edit this out, but I want to do the same. Is that all right? Perfect. Give me about 30, give me about actually, give me about 60 seconds. While we're grabbing a beer, real quick, I just wanted to mention Wake Brewing in Rock Island, Illinois, is a brewing company, a bar area where you can 
buy craft beer that's made right from there. Uh, a lot of businesses are, you know, closed right now during the coronavirus pandemic, but they do uh, pre-orders where you can prepay through PayPal and uh, and pick up beer to go. Um, Saturdays from 12 to 3, you can stop by the brewing company and pick up some beers to go. So definitely check that out. Um, check out their website at uh, wakebrewing.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Go check it out, guys. They have some terrific beer. And uh, especially if you're in the local area, you know, keep keep these local businesses alive during this these tough times. So it's ironic that we're talking about this 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 movie. But it's good because this is the first time I've actually really publicly spoken about this movie because my role in this film is odd. So I'm sure you noticed I'm not the credited I'm not the credited editor um, of this film because I'm not the credited editor. You're watching not my cut of the film. You're watching the um, production company in L.A., um, you're watching their version of the movie, which is especially now extremely different from from my version of the film. Um, and you know, Rake in some ways is not abnormal. It's it's not. It's I a mean, creature it's, feature. It's, yeah, it's. Well, the the story of the story of the rake is in keeping with how a lot of movies go through post production. They usually have multiple editors and lots of points of view. In some ways, it's the ultimate. It's basically the Mount Everest of cautionary tales if you're making an independent film because the movie was for the most part taken away from from the filmmaker and the people that 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 spearheaded it and, and got it off the ground. Uh, so what you're seeing is, you know, the rake does have some things that I really like, but it's it's I don't think it's the movie that the that the the producers, the director wanted. I can tell you right now, it's certainly not the movie that the writer wanted. Really, really g- gifted writer from Chicago named Jeremy Silva. I think he was probably the angriest I'd seen of all the people that had worked on it, but. Um, mm. Yeah, if you've got any any specific question about something you didn't like, I can tell you exactly why it is the way it is. So just go <laughs> for it. Well, uh, when I was uh, looking up some information on it, I seen it had a $6 million budget. And I'm thinking, damn, that's, that's pretty fucking high for an independent movie. It is. Um, and is that number even you... correct? Is that number correct? Yes. Um, this was on my, IMDb. From my experience, um, I would say no. I find it hard to believe that that is the the final budget. I, I do not believe that to be accurate in my opinion. But you also have to keep this in mind. This was shot between March and April in Volo, Illinois in 2015. 
I started work on it in April of 2015. And I was off the movie. Um, by early September. Um, and then it languished in post-production until it was released. I believe the first week of June 2018. If memory serves. So mm. you're probably wondering what was happening to the movie in that window. <laughs> yeah, it must have really chopped and screwed that one. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it definitely changed. It definitely changed. Um, the you bring up a very interesting point that I definitely want to speak on because this is the, this is the one thing that does anger me about the movie. I you know look, I'm a professional film editor. This has happened to me many times in the past and it was it's going to happen to me again like i said mm-hmm. traditionally movies have several points of view several different editors and sometimes wholesale changes are made to movies i've actually done them to movies high in the hog is a great example high in the hog was actually a finished feature film in 2014 and the creator the writer kevin c lockhart he couldn't sell he couldn't sell that version of the movie. So I rem- one summer night, drunk, in his garage, I pitched him in a completely different movie. And sure enough, that's, that's ultimately what the finished product... I mean, there's obviously a lot more heartache in there and a lot more work, but, hmm. but movies traditionally go through a lot of changes. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. But in the instance of The Rake... Um, alterations were made that I don't think benefited the film. And one of the things they did that's very, very odd is so the girl that has the gun in her purse. You remember that scene? Which is in mm-hmm. the boyfriend? Okay. Mm. So yep. that actress is her name is Darcy Wood, and she's a terrific Chicago actress. She's also a singer. Um, hmm. She plays um, Michelle in the movie, and she's the girlfriend of the brother, Ben, played by another terrific Texas actor named Stephen Brody. And for some reason, they cut the ever-living shit out of her character, and you can see it in that scene in the car. They literally don't want to put the camera on her. And they did that to several performances in the movie. I have my own... You know, I I have a pretty decent idea why. I don't really think it's relevant anymore. But it, it does. It alters, it alters an audience's interpretation of the material. And here's something else interesting they did. So, the people that created the rake they wanted this to be basically an alien meets the shining hybrid mm-hmm. and one of the one of the ways they attempted to fashion that in the screenplay is the male lead andrew played by an la actor named joey bacicci in in my cut of the film joey slowly goes crazy throughout the the first two acts of the film. In fact, I'm going to let 
your listeners know something I've never told anybody in my cut of the film, which was completed in like late 2018, early 2019, when they were shooting that movie out in the woods in the backyard, um, I don't know, two, 300 feet away from the house, there was this old, old shack, um, old mobile home that was just disgusting. It was filthy, just worn down and destroyed. I actually took some footage of that on my phone. And in my cut of the movie, I reintegrated that in the movie uh, um, to show that this Andrew character had got off in the woods and was slowly going crazy because he was becoming not necessarily possessed, but influenced by something hanging out in the woods. And of course, that makes a lot more sense in the second and third act of the film. What? But, yeah, but in their cut of the rake, like I started, I started Andrew off at like a two, and he slowly goes to eleven at the end of the film. Their version of it, he's basically starts in eleven. He's just a complete asshole and he's unlikable. In fact, one of the criticisms I, I have had from people on this movie is that everyone's unlikable, and that's really unfortunate because you know what? The writer, the director, and in my cut of this movie, I think we did a really solid job of getting the audience. To not only like these characters, but sympathize with them, empathize with them, understand them. And that's just all gone in the new cut of the movie. You just don't give a shit. You could give two fucking fucks about these people. (laughs) It's really the the rake was supposed to be a horror film, but it was also supposed to be a psychological thriller and a character study. And that's Mm -hmm. that's just been sucked out of uh, of the uh, you know, in the theatrical version, all of that's just been removed, and it's too bad. Right? Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, he came off as like a total asshole, especially when it got to the party scene. Oh, totally. And you know, that's okay because he's starting to lose it. But we did a good job of building up a character you did like, but then over time, his mind starts to go, and his his attitude. And his demeanor just disintegrates because he's becoming influenced by this, this, this pestilence, this, this rake. Another thing that the movie does very, very poorly, and I'll tell you here in a second how I was able to fix that. As you know, the rake is based on a, I want to say, 2005 or 2006 creepy pasta tale. Okay. So, Technically, Rake qualifies as a fan film. Hmm. Which if specific people are listening to this right now, you may want to check out uh, um, some copyright because that definitely changes the status of the film. Wink, wink. Anyway, this movie doesn't get into the mythology of the creature at all. And let me tell you a simple change that I had recommended before I left the project. I, I said to everybody... Specifically for the people in L.A. You need to create an opening title sequence. At a minimum. (laughs) Similar to set. That illustrates the mythology of the rake creature. If you notice in the current version of the movie. Dude, when's the last time you saw a fucking horror movie. That didn't have an awesome title sequence. I mean. They didn't even bother to do one. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? I was waiting for one too. It's not there. It's it's it. 
you know, that's the thing that pisses me off. This is an unfucking finished movie, and it, the more I talk about, it, the more aggravated I'm going to get. So, <laughs> so check this out. So I had an opening title sequence, right? Mm-hmm. And then as it ends, you see Jacob Murphy on the television in the dad's office. Okay. Then Jacob Murphy is introduced. And by the way, there's going to be spoilers here. I don't give a fuck. So the, the, the killer's introduced. And then the kids see their parents. And then we cut to 20 years later. And then the second half of my title sequence, which I literally rip off the Shining's title sequence with these awesome drone shots that a guy named Joe Meglio, who actually did the sound for High in the Hog, shot. And the people in L.A. didn't even use this material. They didn't even fucking use it. And like I said, it, it, those two things right there, which took me three, four days, not really, ten days, I don't know, twelve days, to put together, completely change the general aesthetic of that film. But they're not in there. Jeez, man. I also, want to, I also want to say something else. When I was editing The Rake, I did not have the luxury of the opening 15 minutes. That was shot Christmas 2015. I was actually editing an incomplete movie. Which is, <sighs> is disappointing because I would have figured out that we didn't need to blow our load with the opening we could have saved some of those pieces for the flashbacks. Um, I actually had a brilliant idea that I reworked in 2018 where when she goes downstairs, when Sinead Grimes Beach goes downstairs to see the fetus, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you caught it. In our version, it's very obvious what it is, and theirs, they were a little scared of it for some reason. But in her dream sequence, I think I ripped this off of the fifth Friday, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film. But there's a there's a nightmare sequence where um, the rake is in her womb because she was pregnant at one point. So there's this whole nightmare she has about when when she was pregnant at one point. Mm-hmm. It, it's fucking crazy. My my version of this movie is fucking insane, and there's no way that Sony would have put this out. But the point is. If you're going to make a fucking horror movie, make a fucking horror movie. You don't make a lifetime horror movie, which is what this is. In- <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, 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 hate to, I hate to demean it because I have a, very, a lot of talented colleagues. And they work their fucking asses off on this. And there is some great stuff in this movie. There really is. There, the photography is. is exceptional. You know, the photography is amazing. P's name is uh, Robert Patrick Stern. He's from Chicago. In fact, I think he just got an Emmy nomination for a HBO documentary he did. Photography's oh, wow. amazing. There's some incredible creature effects. Um, there's some really solid character builds. And some of the performances are great. Like, you know, like I said, Sinead Grimes Beach, Rachel Melvin, um, who plays Nicole, um, Stephen Brody, Darcy Wood, they're all they're all fucking incredible. I'm not going to comment on any of the other cast except for uh, Freddie Beckley, who played the actual rake monster. If you notice, they keep his name off of the end titles, which is just. Yeah, I noticed he was sort of like stuck in there with like uh, some of the other creditors, like, you know, creature effects and 
like shit like that. Like he, you know, he wasn't really in the cast part. It kind of just stuck him further down the list. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very, yeah. Rake is, it's a sore spot, and I'll tell you why. If I didn't get, if I honestly didn't really, you know, how a lot of people say, "Oh, I don't give a fuck," whatever. If I really didn't care, if I didn't care about the things I worked on, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But, but I do. I spent mm-hmm. four or five months on this, you know, and I didn't even cut it here. I cut it away from my from my family. I wow. basically got paid thousands of dollars to turn in a assembly edit, which is, you know, not what I had put put forth. But look, you're gonna you're gonna be a you're gonna be an editor. This it, is going to happen to you several times, several times, and that's fine. You know, I'm willing to accept that, but Jesus Christ, it didn't have to be that way. Well, so, it definitely would be interesting to see your take on it, you know, the the way that you edited it. I'd like to see that version instead of the one I'd seen. I don't – I think there's too many legal entanglements, even oh. though, like I said, this is technically a found – or a um, found footage. This is technically a fan film, so um, – <laughs> that does put its copyright in a little different area, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. My cut right now would is is fundamentally unreleasable because my cut is basically a, a Richard Donner Superman two cut. Um, to make scenes work, I have pieces from other movies. Um, I have footage that wasn't even shot in 4K; it was shot from different cameras. Um, the doesn't even have the actual actor that was there at the time. So, I mean, it's mine is experimental, but 90% of it, 95% of it is still uh, footage from the film. But yeah, it's a slightly, well, I shouldn't say slightly, it's a completely different take on the movie. Um, mm. But yeah, it's too bad. But um, hey, that's movie making, you know? Some people really like the rake, you know? And they did a decent job of releasing it, you know? you. When it was released, it was in every. It seemed like every fucking Walmart in the country. I mean, it was. It got out there. You know, you can see it now mm-hmm. on, on Amazon. So I mean, it's on uh, Tubi as well. It's on Tubi. See, they at least you know they they, they it's at least out there. People are conscious right. of it, which is more than I can say. For in, in Voodoo, of, I did see it on Voodoo as well. Oh really? Excellent. See, there you go. Yeah. Uh, the sad thing, the sad thing, like I said, is that I. I'm confident. In fact, I'm certain there's a better movie hiding in there. And unfortunately, I really think that about most movies. I think a lot of movies get um, manipulated in post, and usually for the worst, because money people and artistic people very rarely see eye to eye. That's just the nature of what we do. That's why most movies are failures. Mm, and most people don't know what they're. Most people just don't know what they're doing. That's the other thing. Right, like <laughs> you have, you know, the most brilliant idea, and then you got someone with uh, buku amounts of money producing it. It's like, well, we should do it this way, and then you got to go that way, and then, boom, it's a failure. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not saying uh, this movie was, but you know, I'm just saying in general, you know, it's it's really the people with the money. You know, it's it's it goes towards their direction rather than on the creativity side. 
I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm not really a filmmaker, so I can't really say, but it just kind of seems like that. Uh, well, you're not you're not far off. <laughs> I figured I wasn't. That's why I would say something like this. Yeah, <laughs> you're not you're you're not far off. Um, so yeah, I mean, in closing, yeah, Rake was, um, you know, it's a footnote. It's it's a cautionary tale. I think the people that worked on that learned a lot. Um, I think that when you get into business with 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 other people, um, there's always that possibility. I mean, we had that same thing happen on Chop Shop. We figured out a different way. Um, you know, it's it's just the nature of the beast. So when you talk to filmmakers like myself and they say, you know, oh man, you know, I I we had high hopes for that, and everyone's got that fucking story. Everyone does. Every filmmaker mm-hmm. I've ever met has that story. At least ones that have dealt with a, a distributor that that you know had had capital and had influence, and you know had had the ability to put a movie out in in not necessarily theatrical release, but at least in terms of getting the public uh, um, to be conscious of it. Right. Huh? Yeah. I. Uh... I mean, I'm not like, I don't know, uh, a filmmaker per se, but I've always kind of dreamed of being a filmmaker. And uh, I kind of came up with a script for a movie. Uh, I don't even know if I should even say this on the air, but. <laughs> no, tell I, me uh, later. All right, I'll tell you later. I kind of came up with an idea for a movie, for like a short horror movie. But yeah, the next time we talk, um, see. Um... See skeletons for sure, because um, you'll dig you'll dig skeletons a lot, and then um, and def- definitely see definitely see high on the hog. Um, I think you'll like both of those movies. They're very zany. You know that's the, that's that's the thing that that's why you, that's how you you know that Rake is not my movie because it's too calm, mm-hmm. way too fucking calm. And once you yeah. see once you see these other films, you'll be like, yeah, this. Now I understand what he's talking about. <laughs> right? Yeah, I uh, I seen like the uh, the intro of Skeletons, and I was like immediately like kind of sucked in. Like I liked that the atmosphere of uh, the eighties horror anthology. Oh, watch the trailer. Up. Watch the trailer for Skeletons. Um, the trailer will basically give you all the nuts and bolts of it. Um, just like the Hog trailer will basically lay down the rules of 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 the feature. I mean. Oh, I still, sure, to this, I still to this day get guys, um, not just here in the states, but foreigners that um, I'll get messages. They'll be like, "Dude, I love that hog trailer. I watched it four hundred times." I'm like, hmm. "Well, I hope, I hope you're okay." <laughs> By the way, that movie just got released in Germany as it's called. Big Daddy, Make America Stoned Again. That's what they called it. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, if you go to the if you go to the if you go to the September Sun Films page on Facebook, I've got the I've got the Blu-ray cover. Yeah, that's what they called it. Really? Yeah, I went on there earlier today, and I'm like, why is you know I thought it was high in the hog. Why is it? Why is those words on there? <laughs> it is high in the hog, but yeah, that's what that's what they're calling it in Germany. Apparently, it's going in a couple different. <laughs> territories besides germany which means there's probably going to be additional titles but that one is we had a bunch of people say they loved the title i mean 
I get it. It's funny. Like, like I guarantee Sid would have found it funny. Right, especially with the whole politic. Oh yeah, you know, he would catchphrase. Funnier in hell, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, uh, um, do you have like a you know like what what's your favorite type of horror movie, or do you even have like a favorite horror movie, or you know? Tell me a little um, bit about what you're into. Like as far as horror, um, I like, and that's a good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. I, I like, I like contained horror films. So a great example of that would be. This is the answer fucking everybody gives, but it's because they're so good. A great example of that is the thing. Okay. A contained horror movie. Actually, you know what? Maybe that's why I I like Carpenter so much. All of his movies are. You know. Yeah, to a certain extent. They really are. Fog. Escape from. Ghosts of Mars. Contained on Mars. Thirteen. I mean, yeah, they're all very contained movies. Um. Interesting. I never really th- would have thought of that. Alien you know, that is the aspect. same way. Yes, I was just going to say Alien would be a great one. Actually, when you really think about it, when you really think about it, any space horror film fits that designation because they have to be. Because you can't, what are you going to be? You're going to be fucking floating in space and there's a monster? They're always on a ship, you know, because you're from fucking space. Right, right. But those are my favorites, generally. I like... Jason X fan? You know what? Let me tell you something about Jason X. (laughs) Jason X is not a good movie. But here's the thing about Jason X. I saw that... I saw that on a Friday night, opening night, with a a, a fucking zany group of just drunken drugged out frat boys and (laughs) they were throwing the zingers you know before the characters in the film would and it was fucking hilarious and it was easily and i can still remember it and that was what it was fucking 2002 18 (laughs) years ago and i still remember it that was without question one of my top 10 best experiences in a theater without question because of how nuts and I had seen, and here's here's the best part. I had seen seven, eight, nine, ten, Freddy versus Jason, and the remake in theaters. Nice. But ten, ten is the one that 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 stuck out because it yeah, is. it's it's Jason in space. I mean, it's I, it's got to be ridiculous though with. With that premise of being Jason in space, I mean, you, you Jason can't take X, it serious. Jason X is basically a canon movie. That if if canon in the eighties would have had the rights to the Friday the Thirteenth Friday the Thirteenth franchise, that's the movie they would have made. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So to answer your to answer your question, the, the short the short answer is, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, it's hard to argue Jason X did have some really badass kills. There's some really good kill counts in that one. 
And, you know, uh, I read something recently. Um, no, you know what it was? I think it was. I think it was part of. What's that brilliant? Five five hour, four and a half hour Friday the Thirteenth documentary. Is it called? Camp Crystal Lake Camp, Memories. Crystal Lake Memories. I believe the director who is deceased, a guy named Jim Isaacs, I think he said that the studio... So that movie was shot, I believe, in 2000 or 2001. 2000, not released till 2002. And one of the reasons... And by the way, does this sound familiar? One of the reasons that it wasn't released is because I think they tinkered the fuck out of it. And if you notice in Jason X... There's a very odd tone to it. It almost plays. There's a lot of comedy in it. And one-liners once in a while are fine. But there's an odd tone, especially to the first two-thirds of Jason X, where it's plain. It's got... It's it's having too much fun. You know what I mean? It's not dark and hard-edged like it should have been. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if I would have made Jason X, it would have had the same tone as, like, a Bent Horizon. Like, hard-edged horror. And that would have been tight. That would have been tight. And I think that's why I don't really like it. I think that I think that the filmmakers were tasked with making it f- more like Scream. You know, wink, Ew. wink, and a nod. A little tongue-in-cheek. You know, a little lighter. A little lighter horror. And I think that's why they fucked up. Because Jason X should have been... It should have been, you know, a hardcore gore-fucking-fest. Well, even like the remake, like now people can say what they want to say about the remake, but I do like the remake for that aspect. They took it more serious. Dude, I like the remake. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I I like the more serious tone to it. And uh, I did see that one in theaters too. Yeah. I loved how, how brutal he was. And, you know, sure. It wasn't exactly like the original. I mean, we all know how the original ended up being. It was his mom instead of Jason. But nobody wants to watch that now. You can't do that yeah, shit now. Yeah. I mean, come on. You know, yeah, and that I mean, was the funny thing about that was the funny thing about Jason X. Okay, in nineteen eighty six, when Tom McLaughlin basically rebuilt the Friday the thirteenth franchise with Jason Lives, you could get away with tongue in cheek humor. In 1986, but not in 2002. Mm-mm. You just couldn't do it, mm-hmm. you know. And, and 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 if they were trying to give it a scream vibe, dude, that was 96, 97, man. Yeah, that that should have passed. Too late. Yeah, that exactly, exactly, man. That fucking that that train went through the station totally. But you're right. That's why I liked. That's why I liked the and that's probably why I like Jason more than I like Freddy. I like the Freddy films. Way too much fucking comedy. Way too much. Yeah. Well, the first one, I will say the first one is probably my favorite. And that one is probably the only serious one. Well, besides New Nightmare. But, like, those two films are probably my favorite out of all of them. Just because they are more on the serious side. Um, but, I mean, the the original is my all-time favorite so as far as the freddy movies go oh everybody but, loves the original how can you not like the original first time i saw that it scared the shit out of me and i saw that like fuck man i saw that way too young 
I think I saw that the year yeah. after it came out. That would have been like 85, so I would have been, fuck, 9 or 10. Way too young. <laughs> yeah. I think well, I saw I, this. I think I saw the thing when I was like eight. <laughs> oh my god! I seen I seen uh, Predator when I was like three or four, and just fucking loved it. I would like we had it on VHS tape, and I would just watch it, rewind it, watch it, rewind it. You know, just like nonstop. I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Dude, summer '87, man. Summer 87, I think June 87 was Predator and RoboCop. I mean, fuck, what a time to be alive. Heck yeah, and Alien. You gotta throw Alien in there too. Man. Now hold on. Are you a fan of Alien 3? I'm a huge fan of Alien 3. Huge. yeah. Dude, I... And that fits in with uh, the isolation aspect of horror. Because they're, you know... And the best part is, you know, what I find, like, to the core scary is they all have no weapons. And they're stuck in that fucking prison. Stuck in that prison with the alien. It's such a dark, nihilistic, brooding, mean-spirited movie. But what i love about it and actually you could make this argument about all four of the films the all four of the original quadrilogy is mm-hmm. that they're all very different actually when you really think about it there's some moments in the fourth film um that are actually quite cool too uh the fourth film's got the underwater scene with the alien which is fucking badass mhm um it also has its stupid moments, but at least it separates itself. Each, what I like about that, the, the first four Alien movies is they, each one is different. I mean, it's all basically the same story for the most part, but each filmmaker gives it its own very specific look and its very specific feel. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of three. Um, three is exactly where that franchise needed to go because we didn't need another, we didn't need another movie like the first one where we're on a spaceship. We didn't need another combat movie like the James Cameron film. We needed a new, a completely new vision of it. And that's what we got. And sure, people were disappointed in the time, but that was 92. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was 92. I think. 93. Uh, it was released in 93, I believe. You know, Wait. they probably made it 92, but I think it was released in 93. Is that right? Like May? I want to say 92, but I could be wrong. Let me look it up. Okay. Hold on for a second. Yeah. Memorial Day week in 92. I think it came out the same weekend as... No, that can't be right. There's no way that's right. Am I right on that? Let me see. Hmm. I want to say that I'm... Yeah. Yep. Okay, so it was released in theaters in 92. Same same two week window as Lethal Weapon three. Yeah, May twenty second, nineteen ninety two is when Alien three came out. Oh okay. And I remember it wasn't reviewed well. It didn't make a great deal of money, but it did find its audience. It did find its audience years later, and I don't think that's so much because you have a lot of David Fincher fans. I think people just realize that's a cool fucking movie. Like it was, you know, when people say this was ahead of its of its time, that's what they're talking about. Like. 
the 90s was not the correct time for a movie with that kind of tone. You know what I mean? A very nihilistic, dark movie. And by the way, that's exactly what The Rake was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a dark, brooding, nihilistic film. The problem is, is you can't make a movie like that when you hate every fucking character. That was the lesson to be learned to all these screenwriters that are listening right now. <laughs> but yeah, dude, I'm you're you're absolutely right. That's a phenomenal movie. I mean, there's things I like about Alien 3 that aren't in the first two films. There's moments that are superior. Well, I shouldn't say superior, but Fincher makes it his own movie without question, although he doesn't want to talk about it cuz they fucked it up, but yeah, well, well regardless, it, it's definitely a fucking good alien movie. Mm-hmm. Without question. Oh, especially in comparison to those awful AVP films. Um, yeah. There's moments, there's moments in both Prometheus and Covenant that I like. Covenant doesn't make any sense, and it's ruined by... A series of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen in a space horror film. Prometheus is fine until kind of the obviously tacked on ending. Um, I actually kind of liked Prometheus a little more the, the second and third time I saw it. It's still kind of a pretentious horror movie, but God, compared to the fourth film, it's the second coming of Citizen Kane. Um, <laughs> it's almost like they tried to to in a way capture aliens as in the second one like they wanted to try to keep like a little bit of that combat mixed with prometheus and i don't know it it was like you know i loved that that they're still making alien movies like you know i'm still gonna go see them regardless but yeah, that one fell short, and probably safe to say that Alien 3 is the more superior one than Covenant. Oh, without question. Without question. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I'm a with, big... You know, with the combat situations in Covenant, you know, it just... Uh, what do I say about it? It just... You know, they're trying to build the story with Prometheus, but it just... And they were hogtied to it, you know what I mean? Um, You know, and here's the other thing. This is the same problem I had with the Rob Zombie Halloween remake. Do we really need a backstory on this character? You know what I mean? Does it fucking matter? We don't need that. That's not why people like the Alien movies. We don't need to... See where it fucking came from. It's better if you just leave it alone. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was interesting to actually see an origin, but we didn't need it. You know that. I mean, does it make does it make the franchise better as a result of knowing it? No, not at all. Not at all. I understand that that's where they wanted to go because Ridley Scott didn't want to repeat himself, and I don't blame him. I don't. I don't want to make the same movie twice. I get it, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 one of those things. You're damned if you do, or you're damned if you don't. Perhaps if the movie would have been better, I w- we wouldn't be having that argument. But you know, like I said, Prometheus actually isn't bad. Covenant, though, 
God. Just the decisions the characters yeah. make in that movie are so fucking stupid. It ruins the film. It doesn't make any sense. That's not how well, scientists and astronauts behave. No, not at all. We're, you, we would like to think not. But, uh, I don't know. It'll, it'll definitely be interesting to see what Disney does with the franchise. And if the same gonna, thing they did with Star Wars. Give us too much bullshit. Yeah, they're going to just over I forgot the word but uh they're going to basically overdo it like they're doing with Star Wars. You know why that movie works? You know why you know why Alien works? You know why The Thing works? You know why Predator worked? Simplicity. That's it. We don't yeah. need we don't need a history. We don't need a fucking prologue. We don't need you know we don't need flashback. It's just fucking simplicity, man. You got Predator's a great example. I was just listening to this this brilliant masterclass by uh, John McTiernan, the guy that directed Predator and Hunt for Red October, and most famously Die Hard. And he's like, mm-hmm. "Look, man, all these fucking stupid sequels." And by the way, the last Predator film, the Shane Black Predator that came out in the last year and a half, is fucking awful. It's fucking stupid. It's an awful movie. <laughs> and you know why? Predator works. Same reason Alien works. Just simplicity. You got these eight stupid meatheads in the fucking jungle with this fucking killing machine. End of story. That's it. That's the movie. And they made it work. That's it. Just yep. fucking simplicity. Alien's the same way. You got these eight meatheads and the fucking Nostromo with this fucking killing machine. Holy fuck, it's the same movie. I can't believe I just thought of that. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I think I everyone has thought of it. It really is. It's the same fucking movie. The spaceship and the jungle. The unknown creature is getting them one by one, and they're trying to figure out who, what the fuck this thing is and how we kill and how do we kill it. Yeah. I mean, basically, I mean it's the same rules of a slasher film. I mean, when you really think about it, you get down to brass tacks. Alien is a, is a slasher movie. Predator is a slasher movie. Except there's and fuck, even Predator has a final girl with Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And 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 Alien, you have the ultimate final girl. You have fucking Ripley. Yeah, one of the OG heroines, really. Totally. I understand why people obsess about that film. There's a lot to obsess about. It's it's. It's not perfect, but it's close. It's fucking close. Oh, oh, for sure, man. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I want to say as big as Star Wars and Star Trek, but that the same aspect as a universe is there. I mean, the the universe for really for both, but more or less the alien universe is like it's like infinity, really. I mean, you can just go on and on of uh of you know just the universe of alien it's <laughs> you know and they could actually maybe that's the direction they're going to go which i don't i don't i mean i think i think disney is going to be smart enough they're going to keep it 21st century fox or whatever but they're going to you know I'm sure down the line here we're going to start seeing at least alien stuff. 
because uh, I don't know if you've watched some of the uh, webisode short films that uh, 21st Century did for Alien. You know, I did after. the ones the yeah the ones that were released. Some of the ones were released on Bloody Disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Some of those were actually quite good. Yeah, some of them were, and uh, you know, totally different storylines from what we've seen in the past. And I could kind of see that as they're kind of testing the waters to see if people are gonna, you know, are digging it. And then, you know, we might see, you know, Alien as the next Star Wars type deal. Which, I mean, it would be cool, but they need to not overdo it like what they're doing with Star Wars. You know what I would do with Alien? What did you do? (laughs) I'd hard reboot it. I would literally... Like, not remake? No, that's exactly what I do. I would literally remake. I would literally remake the 1979 film. That's what I would do. Just make it like really dark, like Alien Three. I would fucking hard reboot the Alien franchise and just start over. Um, yeah, I mean, you you could. You could make a movie. So Ripley, from the first film to the second film, Ripley has been fucking off in outer space for 57 years. So you could make a movie in that window. That's probably where you should go. But once again, that could still be a, you know, I would, I guess what I'm saying is I would abandon the current Ridley Scott timeline with fucking Michael Fassbender because who gives a shit, honestly? Who cares? Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares about yeah. this shit with a fucking alien. Nobody cares. It, it's just... It's not what people want to see, man. They want to see that. I mean, the world building's great, but I'm I'm done. I'm done with that. <laughs> or, you know what? Make a brand new... Make, make a brand new space horror film. It's really not that difficult. I mean, everything is going to end up ripping off Thing or Alien anyway. Yeah. Event Horizon tried, but they wouldn't let him get away with what he wanted to get away with. And by the way, by the way, a lot of the editing schematics that you saw in Event Horizon, mm-hmm. we had a lot of those in the rake, in my version of the rake. And those have they completely disappeared in the in the in the current version. But that's that's how far off the deep end we were going. What? We were gonna make, we were yeah, we were trying to make that movie fucking horrifying. Yeah. That's, that's what we want to see. Yeah, that's what we thought too. We thought that's what horror fans wanted to see. The problem is you had a company that really had no experience with horror films. I don't really know to this day what they were trying to do, but I'm telling you, man, we were on the something. We were on the something. But that's another that's another movie that had tremendous potential. I just think it gets lazy in the third act, but the first hour of Event Horizon, dude, fucking creepy. Oh, for sure, man. That's that's another great movie that I mean I think people talk about it but it's still kind of under the the limelight you know not a lot of people do talk about it but it no, is a, a really great don't. movie they don't they don't and I mean it's old too I mean that what was that ninety seven I mean that was a long fucking time ago oh yeah and 
God, I wish I wish there was an I wish we lived in an alternate universe where Paul Anderson got to deliver the movie that he wanted to make, you know, with all of those shock edits in there. Just a disgusting, gore filled, dark fucking two hour movie instead of the, you know, the truncated version that we got, which I'm glad we got it. But I wish studios had more balls sometimes. Right. Or at least at least let them release the verses that they want as an alternative. You know, like like director's cut, like they need to give him. You know, at least it's his fucking movie. Give him, you know, the benefit of a doubt of releasing his cut of it. You know, especially years later, you know. Why? Oh, yeah. Especially years later. Yeah. 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 Without I mean, question. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, back in the day. You know, I would say, I mean, he he is a good filmmaker, but he went off the rails with the Resident Evil series. (laughs) Let's be serious here. He he really, how many of those are are there? I think from his movies, not like the CGI movies, I think he's got about, is there seven of them? I want to say there's seven of them. I don't think he, I don't think he directed all of them, but I do think he directed most of them no i think he did direct or did all he direct of them. all of them yeah because his wife are you is shitting mila. me yes his wife is uh mila jonovic and she's basically the whole reason why she's in the movie is because he you know because of oh him oh my god you're right there's six of these films okay so there's six resident evil films from 2002 to two. 2007. Okay, so he directed four of the six, but he produced and wrote all of them. All of them with <laughs> sometimes with other screenwriters. But yeah, he was <laughs> he was definitely involved in all of these movies. Wow. This was his whole career. What else? Jesus yeah. Christ. Well, in uh in uh Mila's character was a completely made up character. It it was not canon with the Resident Evil franchise. So he basically just kind of wrote this character for his wife. And so now I I do like the first movie. I do like it, but as far as like canon wise, the whole series that he made was complete shit as far as canon goes. But uh, they are rebooting that series with I forgot who the director is, but uh, they're rebooting the whole series and they're going back to the game canon and you know trying to make it scary again. Like, no, so they're going so they're gonna stop with this like underworld action film vibe and they're gonna go back to fucking zombies and shooting, right. I actually like, liked the original Resident Evil. It wasn't bad. No, yeah, I, I really did like it. I liked how it was different. But, you know, it did get off what the rails. The yeah, I don't <laughs> know. What, okay, he got off the rails real fast. But fucking, it was like... Fucking real fast. Fucking big budget shit, though, too. 
like in uh I forgot the the lady's name. Pardon for me for giving her name, but uh one of the stunt ladies, I think in uh the last chapter or something like that, one of those the one of the last Resident Evil movies, she actually uh almost lost her life. Like she um got uh I think her arm had to get uh amputated because uh something happened with it was like a motorcycle scene, I think, and uh it was coming uh too fast up on one of the cameras and like they didn't lift the cameras up at the right time or something like that and it caused this crash and like so the actress ran into the fucking camera. Yeah, but it was like a stunt woman, not like one of the actual actresses. But uh I think she was like a stunt woman for like Mila's character, Alice. And but like she had some like serious injuries. Like it was costing like millions of dollars in uh medical bills and she was trying to sue the producers or whoever, you know, to to help pay for the damages. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so you know, like they really you know, like it was like some high blockbuster shit, but they just went off the rails so bad with this as far as like the canon story goes. But, I uh, haven't seen I haven't seen honestly one of the I I haven't watched one of these since uh, God, I think I've just seen the first two. For sure. Yeah, I mean you're not really missing much <laughs> with the other ones. It's just kind of a cat and mouse game with uh Wesker finally comes along. And it's like a cat and mouse game with uh Alice and Wesker. Pretty much, you know. Then they, they tie in some of the characters from the games, but it's nothing like you know, if you follow the games or whatever, like <laughs> you know. Holy shit, dude. They this the last film which came out in 2016 they were still spending 30 to 50 million dollars on these things and it made 300 million the sixth film no wonder they keep making them oh yeah yeah it was a big cash cow man everyone why why'd they stop because i don't know this is my opinion but it's like where could they go with the story like they've built up this fictional character that's not even canon to the actual game like <laughs> where can they I mean, go that with makes, that storyline i mean that makes sense because yeah that's <laughs> but dude I, I remember going to see that first one that first one was a lot of fun oh for sure man i yeah i loved it i bought that shit right when it came out on dvd uh, yeah, that, and even the soundtrack. Um, I'm not like a big Marilyn Manson fan, but his original score to that movie was fucking perfect. Yeah, I remember that. You know, like for the style of what they were trying to go with, I thought that you know the work he did was on that film was was fucking perfect. <laughs> And 
I don't really. I, I could. I couldn't imagine working on, working on six films that were basically the same. I would just. Oh man. You probably got fucking burnt out. Oh, dude, I guarantee it. Um, I, I fucking guarantee it. Right. Well, hey, man. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about the movies you worked on and just the horror genre in general. So I really appreciate you coming on here, man. Well, thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was a really good time. I appreciate it. So that was the episode with B.A. Lewandowski. I hope you guys dug it. And go check out some of his films like The Rake and Skeletons in the Closet. You can find those on Tubi. Um, The Rake, I think you can find that on Voodoo as well. So, And then also go check out High on the Hog uh, with the late great Sid Haig. And uh, I just bought it the other day on Voodoo. But you can also find it on Amazon Prime, um, YouTube, like YouTube video or YouTube movie, whatever it's called. And the Google Play Store, I'm pretty sure it's on there. So go check it out, man. And uh, go check out his film company, September Sun Films, on Instagram at September Sun Films. And I think they're on Facebook as well. So again, Thank you, Mr. Lewandowski, for coming on the show. Had a blast. And hopefully the next time I talk to you will be with Kevin Lockhart to talk more about High on the Hawk. So that's going to be it for, for now, guys. Thanks, Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to e- email me at rudehorror at gmail.com. And find us on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast. That's all I got for you guys today. Thank you. Oh, and one more thing before I get off here. The next episode is going to be a remembering Stuart Gordon with uh, returning special guest Wyatt Weed. And uh, we discuss Stuart Gordon's films and just a bunch of other stuff in a massive three, nearly three hour conversation so stay tuned for that Um, i think i'm just going to release it shortly after this episode so you're going to get a back-to-back episode and uh yeah i hope you guys enjoy thank you so much for listening and stay tuned you have been listening to the Root Horror Podcast. If you like this content and would like to hear future episodes, please follow or subscribe. If you dare. <laughs>